ainda mais logo. to just share with you that was a highlight in my life and some of you know what that was about it was the Cubs they won in 2016 the World Series and I was kind of thinking that it would never happen because in the late innings the game had been tied and it looked like the lovable losers would remain and they would carry their identity into the next year and we would kind of hope and hope and hope but that year it all changed and those lovable losers became winners and the celebration was incredible. Some of the largest celebrations that had ever occurred in that Chicago area, it really throughout the world, they kind of set records of celebration because they had ended a 108-year drought. Think of that, 108 years. And so pent-up anticipation and joy and excitement for all those years for so many fans, some who had waited, you know, their 80 or 90 years of age and they saw that and they were so excited. So I just have to say, Cub fans, it's only 104 years before we can celebrate like that again. I won't be seeing that. Um, but I put that there because if you could imagine in your mind the day that Israel defeated Egypt... And it wasn't in a 108-year drought. They were in a 400-year drought. And as they went through that time, you can't believe that when they got to the other side of that sea, they just exploded with joy and exaltation. I mean, as they looked at it, Moses had pitched a perfect game. He did everything God had asked him to do. And, and then God batted a 1,000. I mean, think about it. He was 10 for 10 when it came to the plagues. And then he kind of, as they're in the final inning and they're there against this wall of a sea, he hits like a grand slam that, that just put the game away. And they walk through to the other side, ecstatic with joy, exultant. So I'm going to ask you as we are going to enter into the next leg of this journey in Exodus, and we've titled this series, Journey with Joy. What I find is amazing is they, they are filled with joy and you can't help it but be looking at it and going, wow, all that God did, you would think that that joy would last for, for years through at least 40 years of the lives of those people who went across. But just three days later, three days, they're on the journey, they're beginning this journey and they begin to complain. And you will find it throughout all the rest of it. They were comparing themselves and their experience to the past when they were in Egypt. And, and they're going through all kinds of different um, things that I think rob their joy. And I, I really would love for you to think for a moment. What is it like for you? Do you journey with joy through life? I want you to kind of take score for a second, would you? And maybe one way you can do this if you want to be um, courageous, if you're there with a spouse or a friend or you're watching it with someone else, or maybe later you want to just even ask this question. Maybe it's just a thumbs up, thumbs down. 
Do you journey through life with joy? Thumbs up. And if you ask that person, thumbs down? No. Now, that will probably create some opportunity for discussion. Please wait till after the message to talk about that. But I want you to be thinking about that. What is your journey like? Where do you find your joy? Is your journey what I would call more of a roller coaster experience of joy into disappointment and sadness? And when things are good and your circumstances are favorable and and they're on the upside of things, when that's happening, you're experiencing joy. But when things get really tough and circumstances head south, you head south with it. Well, my goal in this series, if you will kind of walk with us through this entire series, is to really help us understand what is joy and how do we journey throughout this life with joy. A number of years ago, I decided one of the things I wanted to do, I kind of thought when I hit 70, I want to have formed within me the character of joy. And so this past week, I was thinking about this message and I was kind of letting it kind of kind of wrestle around and stir so much in my soul that I um, at one point I was thinking about that and I thought, why would I wait till I'm 70? I mean, why don't I try and do that five years earlier or even earlier than that? See, the goal of this series is to help us become, I, I would like for you to become, for me to become a person of joy. One who isn't up and down according to the circumstances. I'd love to see us not just kind of talk about it and read about it and, and, and learn about it and, and actually even just in, in, intend because intentions are good, but intentions without any real action that brings about change doesn't last and maybe it lasts as long as the series or as long as you remember this message for the next few days. But I hope to, as we go through this series, give actual exercises that will help Create within us a new character, at least form a part of us, maybe some, some exercise tools, some things that we can do to become joyful. But I want you to be aware of when we go through this, and as we look at this message, and as you think about your day, think about when you complain, how you complain, what you complain about. Uh, not only that, um, notice noises you make, because even noises like grunts or things like that, um, sounds that you make when you're disappointed, uh, reveal complaint in the heart and spirit. The whiny voice you use. Anybody have that whiny kind of voice? And you catch that. That's what you'll find as we go through this series. There's a lot of whining, a lot of complaining. There's a lot of comparing. There's a lot of um, times when their joy is robbed, when they could actually live in it. For many years of my life, I've been what I call a circumstance junkie. Um, I, I did live the roller coaster and, and do still at times live that roller coaster of up and joy according to the circumstances and the external things around me. Uh, like an addict, you know, you kind of, um, you live on the drug of good things happening and then when that's not there, you hit the lowest. And you might relate to that. You're doing well when things are going well. But I want us to think about what is joy in you that is not dependent on things outside of you. How does that created? If we look at the song by the sea, which is Exodus chapter 15, after they have gone through, most scholars call it the song by the sea. Your title might, in the Bible, might say Song of Moses. But it teaches an important, what I would call, foundational lesson about joy. 
before they begin their arduous journey, God, I think, wants to teach them in this song even where joy is to be found and how it can be found no matter what's going on in your life. So Exodus chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 21. It's an interesting song, but it's also a long song. So as I read it, I want you to note and pay attention to a couple of things. One is how often is the name God mentioned? How often is in this song Moses mentioned? And to whom does the song attribute its success? So as we read this, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your breath, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood straight like a wall. In the heart of the sea, the deep waters became hard. The enemy boasted, I will chase them and catch up with them. I will plunder them and consume them. I will flash my sword, my powerful hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. And they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. And the peoples hear and tremble and anguish grips those who live in Philistia. And the leaders of Edom are terrified and the nobles of Moab tremble. And all who live in the Canaan, in Canaan melt away. Terror and dread fall upon them. The power of your arm makes them lifeless as stone until your people pass by, O oh Lord, until the people you purchased pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O oh Lord, reserved for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O oh Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And then they add this uh, kind of addition to this song. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers rushed into the sea, the Lord brought the water crashing down on them. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourines and danced. And Miriam sang this song. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Well, many... Many believe that that last little refrain was one that may have been antiphonally sung. Some believe that that was just the heart of the song because it spoke of the incredible salvation of God in their life. That they would experience the hand of God that would take them from slavery to death and cross over to freedom and life. And a life that was promised not just in a land that he would be given but in a life that would be forever because of the king who lived forever.
So here's the lesson that I want you to think about. For joy to be present during the tough times of life, you need to be aware of the source of your joy. Is it God or your circumstances? Now what I find interesting in this song, in this, in this song, is that sometimes our greatest, my greatest temptation to joy is, is really around the fact that I'm more in love with what's just happened than I am in the one who actually made it happen. And when what happens wears off or life changes, because life will, it's dynamic, then my joy is lost. So I think it's interesting that they begin this entire journey with this song that they are to sing throughout their life, which is to be in some ways a reminder to us that this song that we're singing is a song that is to go through our lives because of what it does with regard to joy. To to, to avoid, in a sense, riding the roller coaster of life, you need to learn to keep your focus on God as the source of your joy. You get that? You need to keep your focus on God as the source of your joy in the circumstances that you are experiencing or not experiencing. God's that anchor. There is a sense as we go through this, what what Moses, as they write this song, want us to recognize is that we are to keep aware of God's heart for us. And then you'll see a second thing. We are to know that we are to live in his heart. Almost kind of like a, a bubble in which we are to be within no matter what's going on in our lives. So that when we experience the joys, our joys are not just so in the circumstances that cause us to raise to new heights, but it's still in God. And when our, when our um, circumstances head south, instead of dropping with it, We stay in the heart of God. So let's first look at this whole idea of keeping your focus on the on the reality of who God is and not on your circumstances. There's a training that has to take place. And so when I talk about exercises in the weeks to come, I hope that there will be some exercises that will help train you to keep your heart on the reality of who God is. If you look at this song, all of their praise is directed to God. Not one line is directed to Moses. Even their circumstances are because of God. And it's easy to be joyful when things are good, but in just those three days, all of a sudden they lost that. Good circumstances doesn't produce lasting joy. Ten times God is named in this passage. Think about it. Ten times God is named in this passage. Not once is Moses mentioned. The focus of their praise is on the character of God. The focus of their joy is sourced in the heart of God and his heart for them. And so as you go through this, you'll see there's three names that are given for God. And there are three names that I think are really important to remember in times that are difficult. They are to act like a thermostat. The names are to regulate your joy. The outside temperature of your circumstances will change, but the reality of who God is greater than your circumstances. And so, in a sense, where you work, where you live, where you club you might go to, or, or the place you shop, or whatever it might be, wherever you go, there is a sense that if God is never changing and you are in the heart of God, there is this idea that you are a thermostat and you can actually set the temperature of joy in the places where you're at. Because the source of your joy is in God. So listen to the three names. The first is, it says, is God is a warrior. Basically, I would say it this way, your God is your warrior. 
Exodus 15, 6. It's the first name that is to regulate your joy. He says, the Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. The very personal name, Yahweh. I am who I am. Who He says, this is how I want you to know you. I am me and alive for you as a warrior. Four times in this poetic song, reference is made to God as a warrior, specifically referring to his right hand. Twice in verse 6, once in verse 12, and once again in verse 16. His right hand is said to be mighty and majestic and powerful. As a fighter, God is in a way that it's written here. You could almost say he's like poetry in motion. He's not just like the power fighters. And some of you, this will date me, but like, like smoking Joe Frazier or um, grilling George Foreman. Some of you will remember George Foreman with the George Foreman grill. Anyway, those were they were power fighters. But there was another guy, his name was Muhammad Ali. And, and he would say things like this. And when I was younger, I thought, man, what an ego this guy has. He'd go float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. His hands can't hit what his eyes can't see. Now you see me, now you don't. George thinks he will, but I know he won't. Or he'd say things like, I've wrestled with alligators, I've tussled with a whale, I've done handcuff lightning and throw thunder in jail. My personal favorite, if you even dream about beating me, you better wake up and apologize. <laughs> I love how he just has this sense that, man, I am a warrior and I'm a fighter and I'm going to win. And this song says that the Lord is your warrior and he has this awesome right hand. It's majestic in power. It goes to say he smashes the enemy. He stretches it out and raises it over the Egyptians and they're swallowed by the sea, causing Egyptians and the people that they would soon see as they would go through the land They become, it says, as still as stone. This idea that they're actually petrified. What was once alive and would speak, it was almost now like petrified, trembling. The Lord is a warrior. And knowing this reality about God, it allows for you to, with confidence, say, I can recognize that God has a hold of my situation. And not only that, he is fighting for me. God's fighting for you. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. If you just recall, when they were pinned up against the, the sea and they had the Egyptians, and you can see the, the dust rising as they're moving towards them with all these 600 chariots, and, and they're standing there, and here is the sea. There is nowhere to go. Who would have thought God would do what he was going to do in that moment? In that moment is a word given to them about their God. Do not, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. They couldn't look at what was going around them. They were told to hear this truth about their God. That he was at work and he was fighting for them. Because the Lord is your warrior. I don't know what you're personally experiencing. I don't know the circumstances that are surrounding you. But I do know this. The source of your joy is in a God who says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance that I will bring to you. I don't know God's timing. But he says, keep your eye focused on God. 
Joy is a sense of confidence that God loves you so much that he will fight for you. And all he asks you to do is to trust, do what you know is right, and believe that God will be the one who brings about a change of circumstance in your life because he's your warrior. The second name that is to regulate joy is this idea that God's your shepherd. Exodus chapter 15, 13 says, With your unfailing love, you led people you have redeemed, and in your might you guide them to your sacred home. God is making a promise to you. He says he's like a shepherd. And we don't understand that because we don't live in um, agrarian times and, and, and we don't have sheep that we watch over. But in that day, a shepherd's life was to be given to make sure the sheep were cared for and protected. They would do whatever it meant for them to get them to pasture and get them from pasture and get them back home. And God is saying, I will get you to where you're supposed to be. Think of Psalm 23. God says he cares. He will make sure that you lack nothing. He will guide you and provide. He will bring you to still waters and green pastures. God's love is unfailing. He'll leave the 99 to go search after the one. There are some of you, as you're hearing this right now, you know that you've been running. And the reason you're even in this place and listening is because God has been searching after you. He loves you. And he just wants you to find your life in him. He is your source. He not only has been fighting for you, and he wants to fight for you, but he's also your shepherd. God's promise is to lead, to guide. His eye is on you. He sees you, and he's working on your behalf. Even when you don't, we sing a song, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, my God, that is who you are. You are a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You're my shepherd. I shared an illustration a, a few weeks back about my father who had been at that time running a university and one of the institutions that was kind of given to them and willed to them that was contiguous on their property had come to a place where it was going to be foreclosed on and my father done all he could do to raise money for it and eventually that Sunday before the Monday they were going to foreclose, he was short 150 and, and the story is how it was provided and it was incredible. My, it's, it's one that marked our life. Well, I, I, finished the message and, and there was only about eight or nine of us there that Sunday when I shared that and one of them was one of our elders, Mark Swantowski, and he said, you know, that was a neat story. He said, it is amazing how God marks us at times with his provision. And he went on to share with me that he had been early in his walk with the Lord. He had been a new Christian, about 12 to 14 of them who are part of Campus Crusade. Um, they, this affiliated group went down to Texas uh, to the Expo 72 in Dallas, and they drove together a caravan of, of three vehicles. He said the Dodge panel van that he was in, uh, about five or so were in that one, broke down in a small town in a part of western Texas, and it was about 6 p.m., and they saw a gas service station. They went to that service station. It so happened that there was someone there, and they were working on a, a vehicle. It was up on the rack. They took the rack down. He put the van up. He looked at it. He identified what the missing part was. He said, I don't have that part, but I know a guy who has parts. He may have it. I don't know. 
sent them uh, one of the vehicles that Mark went in. They went over to the guy's place to to see if he had this part. The guy looked around, went over to his little shop next to his house and was looking around, found the exact part that they needed. I think it was like a water pump. And the guy said to him, you know, that'll be $22.18. And so they all emptied their pockets and they were trying to collect their money and they were counting at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. And then they started counting the change 15, 16, 17, 18, 22, 18 to the penny. And they bought the part. And he said, that story marked my life. It it caused me to remember that God will provide. Down to the penny. God's your shepherd. Some of you have experienced the provision of God and can look back at that, and that's part of what you're to do. Some of you are in a place where God's saying, let me come through for you. I really have a breakthrough for you. Uh, You may not know when it will be, but if you will just open your heart and, and lean in with your heart and trust me and know, here's the key, know that my heart is in love with you. I am fighting for you. I want to be and will be your shepherd. And and the last name that regulates things is this simple name of the fact that he is not just a a fighter and and a shepherd, but he's a king. Exodus 15, 18 says, The Lord will reign forever and ever. Unlike Pharaoh, whose reign had just come to an end, he was the most powerful man in the universe in that day, in the then known world. He was feared and revered. Their dynasty had lasted for many, many years. And in a moment, his rule came to an end. I want you to note the comparison. If you look at Exodus 15, verses 9 through 11, between you see Pharaoh and God. It says, the enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will take them, I will divide the spoils. You can see Pharaoh, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy. And then, note all that blustering hot air of Pharaoh as he's boasting compared to the effortless breath of God. But you blew with your breath. The actual Hebrews is more the idea that you blew with your nostrils. And so it's, it's not even like he went, it's when he went, and the sea covered them. And they sank like lead in the mighty waters. That's your God. And that's where the hinge point of this whole psalm comes here in this verse. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Now we don't worship many gods, but many idols are. Our money, our health, our sense of control. And he says, who, who even comes up? I mean, when, when push comes to shove, who do you want to bank on? Who are you going to place the bet of your life on? And he says, put it on the king who lives forever and ever, who will fight for you. 
and who will be like a shepherd who provides for you and gets you to the place he wants you to be. He will bring you through even these tough circumstances. So as I as I look at this, I go, the very first thing he wants you to know as we start going through this, this journey together is to, to recognize that, that the thermostat that regulates your joy isn't in the things outside of you. That's the temperature which will go up and down. Life just moves. But it's to be in the heart of God. His heart for you is to fight for you. He's fighting for you right now. He's going to provide. He's your shepherd. He'll get you to where you're supposed to go. He'll bring you through these circumstances. There is no king like this king. There is no God like this God. But here's the second thing I, I want you to realize. Not only the heart of God for you is love. Always for, is just he's crazy in love with you. I, I sometimes have said this in the mirror and you might laugh but I've got I just say God you're crazy about me and I, that sounds funny but have you ever voiced that do you believe that that's what scripture says and here's how he proves it he doesn't want you just to know his heart will fight for you and he'll provide and be a shepherd and and he's the king forever and ever but he wants you to know that that you can live in his heart because he's purchased you. He's bought you. You have a new identity. And, and so you're to focus on the reality, not of who God is, but you're supposed to focus on the reality of who you are in God. And that's an important distinction, not on the things around you, but on who you are in God. Refuse. You just have to refuse to ride the roller coaster of circumstantial joy. You look to the source. And then you look at his heart and you find yourself in his heart. And you focus on the reality of who you are. You have a new identity. You've been redeemed. Look at Exodus chapter 15, 13. This is what it says here. This applies to you as well. And I'll show you that in just a second. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you've redeemed. You bought them. That's what it means. He purchased you. And then he says it again in Exodus 15, 16. Your enemies will be as still a stone until your people pass by, until... The people you bought pass by. Twice, God is making it very clear that he's purchased you from being a slave to the circumstances. He has actually bought you and said, no longer are you a victim to the things around you. You are a person who is in my heart and I want you to live with the reality of who you are in me. I have purchased you, I have bought you. Do you know how many times, think about this, you know how many times the Old Testament, if you go through the Old Testament and you look at how many times it refers to this story of the crossing of the Red Sea. And you look at how many times it refers to God taking the people out of Egypt. And I just looked up the words out of Egypt and the words I brought Israel up from Egypt. Just those two things. And that's over 2,429 references to the Exodus story. And that's just that. There's many other references. And the reason this story is so important to the people of Israel is because it was foundational to their sense of identity. Just think about that for a second. They're no longer these wandering Hebrew people, an immigrant homeless community living within Egypt, slaves and victims to this other power. They are now purchased, bought, in the hands of God, not pawns to their enemy. They're God's treasured possession. They've been redeemed, purchased and paid for by the king of the universe. They're chosen. They're the children of God. 
And this story defines them. It will always define them. No matter what place they're in, it's to define them. But what's interesting here and what we're going to find as we go through this, it takes time for God to build this into your heart and life. It is a journey to move to a place where joy begins to take hold of your heart because of the heart of God that's taken hold of you. Do you know what story defines us? It's the story we talked about last week. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's what I called last week, it's the great cross Passover of Jesus over no longer are you judged, no longer is he standing calling you guilty. You have been declared righteous by the righteousness of what he's done through the cross and through his life. And then there's this great what I call crossover. He takes us from death to life. This is not just a physical death and a, a physical slavery like they had in Moses. Now we move to a spiritual reality which you can only believe. And it takes the work of God to regenerate this in your heart. And so the way that happens in a moment I'll just talk about But you have to, in faith and trust, believe that God has done this for you. He has, through Jesus, declared you not guilty, you know, no longer guilty. He has declared that you need no longer live in shame. You are now, because of this story, it defines you for the rest of your life. This is a story, just like that in the Old Testament, which defined the people of Israel being this Passover crossover. This Passover crossover of Jesus, through his death and resurrection, defines you. And by that, it means you have a new identity. You have been purchased and paid for, and you have been set free. Even the circumstances that Satan would seek to to control you with, even the reactions of another person, you are no longer a victim to that. You have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to choose and to create a whole new reality. You have the ability to be a thermostat that changes things around you because you understand this, that the source of your joy is in God and the source of your joy is who you are in God, that you're in his heart. I have another point. I'm not going to even go into it. If you go through this, you'll see um, in verses 1 through 10, it's all about the past work of God. If you move to 13 through 18, it's a, a past perfect verb tense, which um, is an interesting verb. It's in the past perfect tense because it really is something that is in the future. Your enemies will be as still as stone. It talks about will. And in the translation, New Living Translation, they talk about it as a fact because the idea is it's something that will happen, but it's just as good as it ever. It, it, it's just as good that it, it's actually happened. Even though it hasn't happened yet, it's as good as it's happened, because it will. And so he talks about what God will, what he's done, which is one of the ways that we continue to stay in joy, and what he will do. We focus on the fact of what he's going to do. And I, I just need to share this one thing, I will, because in, in, I think this is important. What is, you get to the um, end of this passage of scripture, and it, it says in Exodus chapter 15, 19 through 21, it says, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, he has hurled the horse and rider into the sea. It talks about his great salvation. What you have to understand, this is the beginning of the Bible. You go all the way to the end of the Bible, in Revelation 15, listen to what it says here, and I'll just read um, this for you. He says, I saw heaven and earth, and then, let's see, it gets to about... Oh, I can't read it without my glasses, but it does say this. And on it they stood, all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, 
and the Song of the Lamb. Those are our two songs. Those define us. And he goes into, at the very end of history, this is what is going to happen. It's as good as being done. We will come out as winners. Two songs, two stories define us. I just want to give you four quick tips, and uh, we'll close. Four things that I think can help you experience joy from this idea of it being the source being God, his heart, and you being in his heart. Personalize this through faith today. It is, an, it is an opportunity for you to personalize this. Verses 1 through 5, when you read this song, they're all about God. But as you get to verses 16 through, verse 6 through 18, it's all sung to God as it's their experience. So they begin by singing about God, and then all of a sudden it moves to this place of faith where they're singing to God for what he's done and will do. And I, I wonder if some of you have never, ever moved to that second place. You know about God, you sing about God, you hear about God, you talk about God. But it's about God. Rather than to God, which is a personal faith commitment. Where you just open your heart and you say, God, I want to experience you in even my own heart today. And I want to tell you, it's not about experience, it's just about trusting. And as you begin to trust, God begins to work and you do begin to experience. And it changes from talking about and knowing about. So for instance, you know, I, I could talk about someone who is a personality that, that we all know, but I could just talk about them. But it really makes a difference. If I was to talk to you about my wife, that's out of experience. I mean, I know her. Do you know God like that? And so I just want to challenge you to say, Jesus, right now in this circumstance, I invite you to come into it. I acknowledge my need of you. I acknowledge that some of this stuff are consequences of my own choices. Some of it may be completely out of my hands. But I'm going to trust my life to you. I'm going to do that today. I'm going to do it right now. Just pray and just say, Jesus, I just open my heart to you. And I'm going to ask that you would begin to lead me and guide me and build this heart of joy in me. Man, if you've made that kind of commitment and you've personalized that to you, uh, you will begin to experience God. He will show up in your life. I'd love to know about it. I'd love for you to to email me or somehow let us know. But I also want to tell you two, three other things. One is practice praising God daily. That is so important. Praising God is not primarily for God. It's really an interesting thing. God doesn't need your praise. It's God's gift to you because when you begin to praise God and put your focus on him, like I said, you then take your eyes off the things around you. And you can begin to do that in a quiet time. You can do that in a car just by praising and praying. You can turn on worship music and let God begin to soak through your heart. And the third thing I want you to think about is declaring what you know boldly. It's really important not just to think about things like this, but to say it out loud. Make your declarations public. You can just say something like, Satan... And all that is evil. Hear this truth today. 
I am God's child. I have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. No one's touching me. I'm God's son or daughter. I am not a slave to my desires. I am free to live by the power of God's spirit. I am not a victim, but I am an overcomer. When you're in that place, just declare it out loud. And God will begin to do something inside you. And then trust God's work, that he's at work always. There is not a moment in the day where God has lost sight of you. If his eye, think about it, if his eye is on the sparrow that's worth just a few cents, why in the world wouldn't it be on you? His good hand is on your shoulder. I used to, when my daughter was away in in her medical school and training to be a PA, I, I, I would, she would go through times where it was difficult, and I would just say, you know, just imagine that God's good hand is on your shoulder. And I would think about that when I was a kid. My dad, at times, he would stand and he would place his hands on my shoulder. And I felt so secure. I knew I could trust. Just let God's hands be on your shoulders for a moment. And say, God, I trust that in this you are at work. I trust that what's going on with my Child, I trust you're at work. I trust what's going on in, in maybe a kid's marriage or in your parents' situation or with someone who um, you deeply care about. Just I trust that you are at work and I am praying in praise to you for what you will do. So I'm going to ask you just to close and uh, in, in to bow your head with me if you are in a place where you can do that and just... Um, Father, I right now ask that the Holy Spirit of God, who has come as a gift through Jesus Christ, would go into each place where this is being viewed and where it's being heard right now and even later through the day and through this week. And as this is being heard, that God, you would touch hearts. You would move in their situation. You would move in their life. Give them faith. Faith that would begin to grow, that it would be planted right now like a seed in their heart. And as that seed is watered by their praising you, that God, it would grow into a plant and that God, we would become, not people that talk about it, hear about it, learn about it, intend to do it, but we would become people of joy in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's a declaration. You could say it with me if you want to. If God is for you, then who can be against you? Okay, try and say it with me, okay? If God is for you, then who can be against you? Bless you. Amen.